It's incredible how much of the beauty of this world goes unnoticed, right? We would rather be on our phones rather than pay attention to the beauty that is around us, or we're so easily distracted uh, by by fear and what's on the news, and it's it's hard to pay attention to the the beautiful things in the world, and it's hard to to be enlightened by the the great things that are taking place and the goodness of God in these situations. And I think that video spoke to that well. And I hope that the message sticks with us as we go into our last week of our Christmas series. What does Christmas tell us about us in regards to today? What does Christmas tell us about us? <clears throat> the answer, I think, is simple, and it has to do with that video in some ways, that we are worth pursuing. We are worth pursuing. Now, what's heartbreaking is that for many <clears throat> of you, excuse me, <clears throat> For many of you, maybe like Lindsay earlier on in her days, you have never understood that before. That you are worth pursuing. You have never heard that before. No one's ever told you that. No one has ever spoken that uh, over you. No one has ever showed you that. Nobody has ever uh, chased you down for a positive reasons to express their love and their interests to spill worth into you. Nobody has ever said that, and that is heartbreaking. You are worth pursuing. Take a moment to let that sink in this morning. You are worth pursuing. Let me tell you why I think that this idea, as simple as it might be, is so incredible. Now, my son, if you know my son, Ethan, for some of you do, uh, he has a very sensitive gag reflex. Like, if you were to go and tell Ethan, hey, Ethan, don't, don't throw up, he'll... He'll, he'll, start to, he'll start to gag, right? The very, very idea of throwing up, he's going to start to throw up. He has a very sensitive gag reflex. And if you are like my son, Ethan, you may want to close your ears for a moment here, okay? The whole sermon, I guess, okay. <laughs> so when we were in Minnesota two weeks ago, my daughter, Sophia, she wasn't feeling well. If you know my daughter, Sophia, she's a spunky little thing. She does her best to keep up with her two older brothers, but she was very lethargic, and she was really cuddly, and, and this isn't normal. She likes to be running around and, and, and playing and dancing and doing all these things. She doesn't sit there very often and just cuddle on you, not for very long anyway. But, uh, but this afternoon, she was just super, super cuddly and very lethargic, and just all she wanted to do was be held and, and rest her head against our shoulders. And, and so one day when we were out to lunch, uh, we, we, we felt her stomach, and it was hard, and it was bloated, and we were like, oh man, she's, she's just not feeling well, you know? She's, she's, she's lethargic, and she's not eating, but she's just cuddling up on Emily, and so we took her to my brother's house where we were staying, and we put her down for a nap. Now, I went in about an hour later to check on her, and, and the room just reeked. It just, it just stank so badly. She had obviously pooped in her sleep, but she never made a noise. She just kept sleeping through it. And so I was like, all right, well, if she's content, you know, let her keep sleeping. She needs the rest. She needs the rest. She's not feeling well. She, she needs to get better. So she was fine. She was sleeping hard. I didn't do anything. She was content. She needed the sleep. So I let her keep sleeping. But then two hours later, we needed to, to, to get ready for my brother's wedding. That was the whole reason we went to Minnesota in the first place, was to go to my brother's wedding. And so we needed to get ready. This is a Saturday. It was the day of the wedding. We needed to get ready. And so I went in there, and I got close to her, and I realized that she hadn't just pooped, right? She had a massive diarrhea explosion. I mean, I, I don't think I said that is as, as I don't think you guys understand the the the, the 
she had a massive diarrhea explosion, okay? It wasn't just a little blow-up up the back. Right? We've all been there, right? It wasn't just a little blow-up up the back. This, create, this explosion created a pool of diarrhea underneath her where she tossed and she turned and she slept. And she was as content as a baby could possibly be, right? She was just swimming in this pool, sleeping as content as she could possibly be. But it was gross. It was, oh, man, I still, it's like, oh, oh, this is so gross. And I literally stood there over my daughter. I stood there over my daughter, and I was thinking, is there a way that she could functionally live the rest of her life in this so that I don't have to take her out of it? <laughs> I mean, she's content, and she's happy. She's doing great in there. Do I, do I have to do anything? I can bring her food. I can, you know, I can, she can live the rest of her life in this pool of filth. She's fine. She's doing great. Oh, because the last thing I wanted to do was reach my hands down inside this, this pile of diarrhea, this pool of diarrhea, and lift my daughter out. You know, Psychology Today posted an article uh, on their website. This is several years ago, but they asked a simple question. They said, if you saw a burning building and you heard that there was a child and a dog inside of it, and you ran inside, which would you save, the child or the dog? Anybody want to take a guess at what the overwhelming response was? The dog. Oh, come on. What? The overwhelming response was, I don't run into burning buildings. That, was, that wasn't even an option. And people were like, I don't go into burning buildings. Are you crazy? The building's on fire. We, we pay taxes so that professionals who are trained and have the proper gear can go into burning buildings and save our children's and our dogs for us. Now, you, you, will, you will be happy to know that the, the child came in a distant second and then the dog. But we don't run into burning buildings. We don't run into burning buildings. That's crazy. That's ludicrous. People do not run into burning buildings. And so why do we hesitate to play the hero? You know, why, why was it that when the World Trade Centers fell, the only people running towards the buildings were the firemen and the policemen? Why, why wasn't anybody else running towards to play the hero, to save people? Or the answer is because, well, I, I, I might get hurt. You know, if I run towards the World Trade Centers, and there's a giant piece of concrete is going to fall on me. That's where the craziness is. That's where the chaos is. We don't run towards... Buildings that are collapsing, we run away, and my legs are working fine, and the people around me might be stumbling, and they might be bleeding, and they might be wounded, but you know what, my legs are working great, so I'm running, I'm getting out of here. We don't run towards buildings that are falling over, right? The answer as to why we don't run into burning buildings to save children is because we might get burned, right? There are people in that building on fire, but if I go in there, yeah, I'm going to get burned, and so I'm hesitant to do it. I don't want to play the hero. I'll, I'll call 911 from a distance and let the professionals handle it. The reason I hesitated to get my daughter out of her pool of diarrhea was because she stank. And she was gross. And she was slippery. And I knew that if I was going to hold her, right, if I had to pick her up and she was going to be all slippery and filthy and gross, that... In order for her not to fall out of my hands, I was going to have to hold her close to me. And that meant I was going to be covered in diary, and I was going to be stanky. And so what makes the fact that we are worth pursuing, get back to point, right? What makes the fact that we are worth pursuing so incredible is that 
we all are in the pool, my friends. We're, we're sitting there in the pool of filth, and it is disgusting, and that is where we are. We are the ones who are screaming from the burning building, and God has chased us down, and without hesitation, without hesitation, let me say that again, without hesitation, he has given sacrificially to carry us up, to take us out, because every time you enter into another person's situation to help them, every time you enter into another person's filth, another person's brokenness, another person's disease, or another person's crazy life, it's going to cost you. It's going to be sacrificial. And without hesitation, God gave of himself to carry us out of the filth. Jesus tells the story in the New Testament about a son who demands his father's share of the wealth. And you've got to understand that in his day, that's basically like the son spitting in the face of the father. Because the only way that you're going to receive your wealth in their day was that if your father died. And so the, the son is basically saying, Dad, I wish that you were dead. I would rather have my money than have you in my life. So, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my share of the money so that I can go and live the life I want. And so, lo and behold, the father actually grants him his wish, and he gives him his share of the property and his share of the money. And so the son goes out. Many of you know the story. The son goes out into the world. He blows his cash on prostitutes and parties, and he gambles it away, and he's living a riotous life. But eventually his cash runs out, and so in order to feed himself, he takes up a job feeding pigs. He takes up a job feeding pigs, and eventually the son begins to eat the slop that the pigs are feeding on because he is just so hungry. He, he doesn't have any resources. He doesn't have any money. And so he sees that the pigs are eating well, and so he begins to eat the slop that the pigs are eat, even eating. And so you need to understand that, that in Jesus' audience, the pig was the most unclean of all the animals. The, the pig was the filthy animal. It was the uh, spiritually unclean animal as well. And so the Jewish people didn't associate with pigs. They didn't eat them. They didn't touch them. They didn't go anywhere near pigs. The Jewish people stayed away from pigs. And so for Jesus to use a pig illustration in front of a Jewish audience was, was huge. He's basically saying, this son is so filthy, he is so dirty, he is the most disgusting sinner that you can think of. That's kind of what Jesus is trying, is trying to make his point. He is the most horrible, horrible rebel. He is a sinner. Get that in your heads. This man is terrible. The boy is a horrible sinner. Okay, we got that. Now, I've never tended pigs. Uh, Anybody ever here ever tended to pigs? Uh, Farmed pigs before? A couple people? Okay. I've never tended pigs myself, but I have been in a couple of pig barns in my day. Uh, Just last summer, actually, Ethan and I went up to a friend who lives close to a pig barn, and he took us through a tour of this pig barn, and and we were walking through this pig barn, and we were only in there for five minutes, but you know what we smelled like when we left? Oh, it was gross. Man, pigs are just nasty, right? They're disgusting, and we just smelled like pigs, and it stuck to us. We were only in there for a few minutes, but it stuck to us, it clanged to us, and we couldn't wash it off. We, we couldn't get rid of it. Washing our hands didn't, didn't release us from the burden of smelling like a pig. Now, uh, imagine this boy, right? He, he's been living with these pigs for several months. Not only is he living among the pigs, but he's eating what the pigs eat. He's, he's working in their, in their feces and in their food and the way that they, they live. He's living among pigs for several months. What does this kid smell like to you? What does he look like? Is he clean in your eyes? Does he smell good in your eyes? He's filthy, right? And that's the whole point of the whole pig illustration is that the boy is dirty, completely dirty. He is covered in sin and filth. And now I want you to notice what the text says. 
he's basically at this point where he's like, I, I can't imagine that I'm doing this any longer. Why, why don't I just go home? Why don't I just go home to my father? And, and yeah, I might be a slave in his household, but at least I'll stop eating what the pigs eat. At least I'll be free from this burden of living among the pigs. And so he gets up and he goes home and he's covered in sin and he's covered in filth and he smells like pigs and he is gross. The text says this, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Right? This is the same father, by the way, who had his face spit on by his son. Is the same father who, who had his son abandon him because his son would rather have him dead than him in his life, and so he gave him his wealth. It's the same father. His father saw him, and he was filled with what? Compassion. He was filled with compassion for him. And so the father ran to his wayward child filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. To suffer with another. The, the idea is that the father's mentality was such that if he would have known where his son was, if he would have known what pig farm the son had landed in, he would have gone and he would have resided with the pigs too. He, he would have gone and he would have been with his son inside the filth, inside of the dirtiness, inside the craziness that was his life. He would have come alongside his son, and he would have suffered alongside his son. He would have pursued his son even into the pig slop so that his father's strength, his father's strength could overcome his son's weakness, and that his father's hope could overcome his son's despair, and that his father's love and his father's pursuit would overcome the son's lack of worth. And so the moment that even his son, uh, he saw a shadow, the father saw a shadow cross over the hillside, we, we know that the father ran to his son. Even while he was a long way off, even if he was way off in the distance, the father sees even a shadow cross over the hillside, and he begins to run and bolt towards his son. He threw all of his dignity aside, and he ran to his wayward lost son. And now notice what he does when he reaches him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he began to kiss him. Now a couple of things you need to know about men in their culture. Men in their culture did not run. Men never exposed their ankles. That was one of the most undignified things that you could do. Men did not expose their ankles. And so dignified men were stout and they were proud. They were stoic. They didn't express emotion and they never humbled themselves. But notice how the father is not concerned with his own appearance. The father doesn't care what he smells like or looks like. He's going to bare his ankles. He's going to go bolting after his son. He's going to run after his son. He didn't care what kind of impression his love for his wayward son was going to leave on his community. And as he embraced his son, and remember, what does the son look like? He's covered in pig slop, and he smells dirty, and he is disgusting, right? The son is filthy. As he embraced his son covered in pig slop, the foul stink of living with the pigs for a month, it undoubtedly... I can only imagine, began to rub off on the father. And the same stink that was on the child began to be on the father. And the same mess and filth that was on the son got rubbed off upon the father. You know, when I was in high school, I was in an ethics class, and we were given the assignment to discuss why we would or would not interact with a homeless person. The majority of people said that they wouldn't do it simply on these grounds. And I don't know why I remember this. I don't know why this has stayed with me. Maybe because it's appalling to me today. The majority of people said they wouldn't do it because if the homeless person's hands were dirty, guess what? If I shook them, my hands would too be dirty. And if I were to embrace this homeless person and hug them, 
and they smelled, then I would smell like they smell. And so I'm going to keep my distance from them. I'm not going to interact with them. I'm not going to get myself dirty. I'm not going to go where they are because I'm going to begin to look like them and I'm going to begin to smell like them. And so we don't embrace dirty people because if they are dirty, then we become dirty. The father embraced his son and the sin and the filth and the junk and the dirt and whatever it was transferred to the father. And my friends, I hope you do not miss the importance of this. I hope you do not miss the importance of this because it is the exact same with God and with us. The exact same. God embraced the most undignified position to prove to the world his great love for us. He took upon himself a cross, the the most excruciating and horrible form of death that the Romans knew in their day. A cross which was reserved for the lowliest of slaves and he bore it, not concerned with his own appearance, not concerned what people were going to think about him, but he pursued us to the point of his own death because he loves us. My friends, we are in the filth. We're in the pool. We're in the burning building. And God took the most undignified position to come to where we are so that our filth and our junk and our dirt and our sin might be rubbed off on him. And as it is done so, his life is transferred to us. And so please understand that God did not wait for us to repent. He did not wait for us to become good people. He did not wait for us to change to become holy before he began to prove his love for us, before he chased after you. He did not wait to say, okay, well, you know, your church attendance just isn't quite good enough yet, so I can't quite love you enough. I can't love you yet. You know, you you haven't done enough Bible studies. You haven't said enough prayers. I can't love you yet. You haven't done enough good deeds. You you haven't given enough to the, the homeless in your community. I can't love you yet. That is not what he did. He did not wait for us to change. He did not wait for us to repent. He did not wait for us to become good people before he expressed his great love for us by pursuing us and coming with us alongside the journey of filth and disgusting filth and gross filth and sin that we are all in. He did not wait for us to get washed up before he embraced us. He did not wait for the smell to go away before he hugged us and kissed us. Romans 8 says, Romans 5 says this, God proves his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. What happened? Christ died for us. While we were still in our filth, while we were still rebels, while we still had rejected God, while we were deserving of death, God pursued us in love. And His Son, Jesus Christ, having died on our behalf, He gave us His life for our death and our sin. He gave us His strength for our weakness. He gave us His hope for our despair. And so I was standing there looking over the pack and play, right? And I I contemplated for a minute. Is there a way that Sophia can live functionally within this pack and play for the rest of her life? That that crossed my mind, I'll admit it. But it didn't last long. I I watched my daughter Sophia sleep, and I too was filled with compassion. I was filled with compassion. What does compassion mean again? It means to suffer alongside, to go down into the, the situation of the people, and to live among it, and to be among it, to suffer with And yeah, it was gross. Yeah, it was filthy. Yeah, it was disgusting. But in love, I I reached down into this pool of diarrhea and I lifted my daughter out. And I saw her, her illness and her brokenness and the sadness of her state and I held her against me. 
and I kissed her forehead and I prayed for her and I carried her to the shower and I wiped her off and I cleaned her up and I put a pretty dress on her so that she too could go to the wedding and and all of a sudden when she got her dress on, when she showered, the lethargy was gone. She, she was clean. She was herself again. And my friends, here is what Christmas tells us about us. God pursues us. Even in our filth, even in the disgusting state of our sin, God pursues us. He comes into our state, he comes into our situation, he comes into your sin, he comes into your life, and he grabs a hold of us, and he takes us out of it. And so even in our sin and depravity, God loves us. Even in our filth, God loves us. Is that incredible? Christmas proves that this love is not passive, but he crossed an infinitely wide divide so that as he embraced humanity, he would restore humanity. And so the Christmas story in the Bible begins this way. It says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so God comes to be with his people. In this Christmas story, that's what it's all about. God comes to be with his people. He pursues them and chases them down in order that they might be rescued. And so when God is with his people, salvation is the result, it says. That he might save his people. Now this word save in the Greek is soteria. It's a term that describes uh, someone who has been set free from, from bondage or from enslavement and imprisonment. And so often we think that our salvation will, will come upon us when we die and we're ushered through the pearly gates, right? That's so often what we think about our salvation. But what soteria means is that right now, right now, we are made new. And salvation has begun and has begun to change everything about your world and everything about your experience here upon this earth. When you are saved, everything changes. It's not just a waiting for you when you die. Everything right now is to be changed, that when you are saved, you, you are no longer in the pool of filth, and you're no longer just trudging through life hopelessly and, and wondering if this world is ever going to get any better and this life experience is ever going to get any better. You're no longer in the filth because your heavenly Father has taken you out of it. He has saved you. He has rescued you. He has taken you out, and he has cleansed you, and he has changed you, and he, he has redressed you in new and fresh clothing. You're healed. The sickness is gone. You are free. This is what salvation is all about. You're no longer in the filth. You're no longer in the pool. God has taken you out and he has rescued you. Psalm 40 says this. He said, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet upon a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He, meaning God, put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, God doesn't do this from a distance. God doesn't do this from a, with a great gulf dividing humanity in himself, nor does he just send his angels to do the rescuing work. God does the work. God does the work, and in order for him to lift us out, he must be near, he must be present, he must be among the grossness and the filth. And so if you are experiencing the pit today, if you feel like your life is just trudging through this world and you're like, oh man, is there really joy? Is there really happiness? Man, all this Christianity stuff, does it really matter? Does it really change anything? You need to know that God is there too. 
Like God is in the filth. He is in the sin. He's in the grossness. He's in the disgusting situation that you find yourself in. God is there. That is where he does his work. He doesn't do it at a distance. He doesn't send his angels to do it. God comes along and gets down into the filth. That's what he does. That's where he does his work. And so how many of you guys feel like you're stuck in a pit this morning? You know, maybe you feel guilty because of something that you've done or you're ashamed by some behavior that you've participated in lately or maybe you just have a lack of concern and you're ashamed of that. Maybe you feel guilty. Maybe you feel ashamed. You're wondering, man, I'm in this pit. It's miry clay. It's hard to get out of. I wonder why this, hard, this life is so hard and I feel like I'm just trudging through life. Maybe you feel lonely this morning. Maybe you feel like nobody actually cares about you. Maybe you feel like nobody in this world is pursuing you. Nobody's caring for you. Nobody is reaching out to you in this holiday season. Maybe you just feel like you're an afterthought and when you're with other people and they don't feel present and they don't feel concerned about you, man, you get together with all your friends and all you do is sit on your phones all night. What's up with that? Maybe you're hurting because of disease or an illness. Because of suffering relationship. Maybe you're stressed because of money issues and you're struggling at your job and you're wondering if it's still going to be there come 2016. Maybe you've recently lost a loved one and you're simply grieving. Maybe you're just trudging through life and you feel like this pit is deep and I don't like the way I feel when I'm in it. And even if you don't personally feel like you're in the pit, I bet that you know somebody who is. We all know a coworker, a family member, or a friend who are in the pit wondering why life feels like we just have to trudge through it and wondering why life is so hard and wondering where the joy is. I bet we all know somebody, even if it's not ourselves, wondering why this life isn't just a little bit easier, wonder, wondering why this life is just so tiring to live in. This past week, I was challenged by a friend of mine to, uh, to take a walk around Target and just look at the people and to try to be as present as possible and, and look on their faces and begin to pray for the people that I came in contact with. And so, of course, Target is crazy at this time of year, and so there are like, you know, 400 people in Target, and it's a little overwhelming to do this. But I tried to notice each person, and I, and I looked at each person, and I attempted to feel what they were feeling simply by their facial expressions or their posture or, or the way that they went about shopping. And so when I saw a man, for instance, staring blankly at the women's shampoo, I was like, oh yeah, I've been there before, right? I, I know what that feels like to, to look through the variety and be like, what would my wife like? I, I don't know. Or there were so many moms who just had their little, the little kids by the hand behind them, and they were just like dragging them through the store. And I'm like, man, this has got to be hard. And so I begin to pray for that relationship. I begin to pray for clarity for the man looking for the, his wife's shampoo. And, or maybe it was for him. I don't know. No judgment there, right? And so whatever came to mind, I, I, I would just pray. You know, I, I would see a, a person, I'd look at their posture, I'd look at their facial expressions, and I would just begin to pray for them. But what I, what I realized is that we are a really stoic people. Man, we're... So I don't, I don't know if it's because of the holiday season or because stores are just stressful this time of year. That could be it, certainly. There's an additional weight on people's hearts and minds, but, but people are just sad. 
And, and maybe they're not really sad, but the way they just go about their life, the way they just have a normal facial expression as they're looking at shampoo and walking through Target, people are sad, people are burdened, people are hurting. Their body language shows it, their facial expressions show it, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety that people are dealing with. The miry pit is real. People feel it, they know it, and, and here's the question that came to mind. How come I never recognized this before? As I was walking through Target, I'm like, how come, how come I've never taken time to look at the people around me? I, I just have, I have, I'm on a beeline, right? I, I want my, my product and I get out of Target. I love to shop, actually, so I spend hours there when I go. I just, I just mingle and walk through randomly. The <laughs> Side point. But how come I never recognized this fruit? Why was this a new revelation to me that just people wear sadness and anxiety and fear on their faces? Do you guys think you do it? Do you guys think you wear it on your faces? Do you think you wear it in your body language? Do you think if someone came to you and looked at you, would they think that, man, you've been escaped from the miry pit, or are you still in it? And the conclusion I came to was because I don't have the emotional capacity to be present in everybody else's life. That's why I didn't recognize it before. I don't have the emotional capacity to be interested in your life that much to be thinking about what everybody else is experiencing and feeling. I've got my own pit and filth to deal with. I can't get into yours. Right? It, it makes me feel more comfortable if I don't have to be confronted with all your problems on top of all mine. It, it, it makes my life more tolerable if I only have to deal with my own stuff. It, it makes my life easier if I don't have to worry about anyone else and their mess. I got my own stuff to deal with. It makes me feel relaxed if I don't have to be present in 400 people's lives. If I can just go into Target and not care about all the other people, but just get my stuff and get out. You see, we don't like running into burden buildings. I don't like getting down into your pit with you. I don't run towards towers that are collapsing. I don't like getting in the pool of your filth. That's why we hesitate to reach down into the filth and help somebody else out of it. But thanks be to God that he is not. Thanks be to God that he is not like us. See, God's not afraid to get down into the pit. God's not afraid to get down into the junk, into the rotten filth in the deepest corners of our hearts so that he might clean them up, that he might do the work. That is where God does his work. It's the only place God does his work is in the filth and in the junk and in the brokenness and the chaos that is our lives, the fear and the anxiety and the mess that is our brains and the fear and the anxiety that is our hearts and the brokenness that is our physical body, that is where God works. That is where he resides. That is where he does his work. God's not afraid to get down into the junk if we let him, if we say, God, I need to get out of this. I can't stay in this pit any longer. I can't stay in this filth any longer. God, I need to get out of this. And God will say, I am here to do exactly that. And so here's what Christmas tells us about us. We are worth pursuing. We are worth the trouble even in your filth, even in the grossness that is your life. And my friends, your life is gross. Your life is filthy. Your life is dirty. So is mine. But that is where God does his work. And Christmas tells us that he saw us in our filth, in our pool of filth and gross, that he came to our need, got down inside of it, and lifted us up. Amen? I'm going to invite the band forward. We're going to reflect on this a little bit. 
I mentioned at the beginning that some of you may have never heard this before, that this might be a whole new revelation to some of you guys. You never heard that you're worth pursuing. You never heard that you're worth loving. You never heard that you are worth being cared for, that you are worth listening to, that you are worth the effort. Some of you have never heard that before. Some of you don't believe that about yourself. And what you'll begin to recognize when you come to understand this, and I don't mean just understand this in your heart, I, I'm sorry, in your head as a, as a cognitive idea. is like, oh, that's cool. I learned something cool about God today. But when you really understand this in your heart, that, that you have a real problem, that the filth pool is deep and you are in it. When you really begin to understand that about your life, and here's, here's what is so beautiful. When you understand in your heart that this is when God pursues us, we're in that filth. He doesn't leave us in the pit. When you recognize that you're in the pit and you're in the sin, you're in the depravity, when you're deep in it, God doesn't leave you there. When you call out for a rescuer, guess what? A rescuer comes to your aid. When you call out for help, guess what? A helper comes. When you call out for a savior, guess what? A savior is there. He doesn't leave us in the pit. He doesn't leave us in our filth. He lifts us out and he makes us new. And as much as I would love to say that my life is now free from filth because I've been lifted out, for some reason, I kind of like the filth as my playground sometimes. And you know what? Those times when I jump back in the pit, God is there again. And he takes me out. And he saves me when I call for a rescuer. If this is a new revelation to you guys, if you don't know that you are in a pit, and my friends, you are in a pit. You are in a pool of filth. Your life is full of sin. If you guys do not recognize that this morning, and you recognize it now, and you want a way out, you want your life to be changed, you, wanna, you, want, you want more peace in your household, you want more security in, in your mind, you want more contentment in this life, you want the life that you were created to live, then call out from the pit. And say, God, I need a savior. God, I need a rescuer. And guess what? What does Christmas tell us? God pursues us. God comes to our aid. God rescues us and he lifts us out. If you need that this morning, I would encourage you to pray with me this morning. God, if, uh, if there are hearts and minds, bodies that are broken and experiencing the, the reality of the pit and the filth this morning, And they were like, I, I don't want to do this any longer, God. I've, I'm, I'm in it, and I, and I feel it, and I sense it, and it's real, and it's true, and it's horrible. God, if they recognize that they are sinful rebels against you, and they decide, i got to go home. God, please, please enlighten their minds and their hearts this morning to say, you are there. You're running after them. You're chasing them down, Father, that when they cross that hillside, you are going to be met with grace and compassion, that he is coming to their aid, Father, and he will help them, and he will release them from this burden. And so, Father, whatever it may be, Father, the sin and the, the trudgery of life, whatever it may be, Father, the way that the pit manifests itself, I don't know exactly how it does in all of our lives, Father, but I know that we experience brokenness. I know that we're all sinful. And so uh, for, for the people that have not come to this realization, they want a way out. They want a new life. They want to be healed. They want to be cleansed and new clothing. This morning, Father, may they cry out to you and say, God, be my Savior. And you are. You are there. 
And they now need to trust that they are beginning a process of being made new, that right now you have transformed them. And throughout this life now, as they learn to live life upon the solid ground, Father, that you will continue to enlighten them and continue to help them and be their healer and be their helper, and you will walk alongside them as they now walk on solid ground. And now, Father, the beautiful thing, as they look at the world around them, they see their friends and their family, as they are in the pit, Father, they now have a helping hand to say, I got out of the pit. I got out of the pit, and let me show you how. Let me tell you how it happened. (sighs) Father, do your work in us. Continue to do your work in us. We do pray these things in your name. Amen.